0: Did you guys enjoy worship this morning? Yeah. yeah, it's great having good friends. Uh, that was David Valir and Molly Williams. David is one of the worship leaders at Morningstar in Charlotte. That's where Molly was, but they're with us today because they're, dra- they're traveling across the country. Uh, they're headed to California. Molly is, uh accepted a position at Jesus Culture, and uh, they were like, you know, we're on our way, but we have to come by Kentucky, and so we, we were able to receive a blessing there, and if you see them, you know, give them a high five or something before they leave. And uh, the other thing you can do is you can open up your Bibles to Exodus chapter eighteen. We're gonna we're gonna settle in there for a few minutes this morning. We're gonna continue in our series here at the Vineyard called Visionary Leadership, and um, we're gonna be talking this morning about. How You Handle Success, we're only going to look at half of chapter 18 this morning. We're going to look at the second half of chapter 18 next week. Uh, I was going to do it all in one week, and I just I couldn't. So we're going to break it up just a little bit. And um, I feel like the Lord has some stuff for us. But before we get there, I want to provide just a little bit of context um, for why we're doing this series and even what I want to share this morning. Uh, the, f- the first thing I want to say is that uh, many of you are aware, or, or maybe you're not, but I feel like we are in the middle of a, a move of the Spirit here at the Vineyard and and in our region. Uh, I feel like that there is a, a real renewal happening here. And uh, if you wanted to use the revival word, I think you can use that word. And uh, some people would be like, "Well, this doesn't look like revival. This doesn't feel like renewal, or at least in the ways that I've understood it." And I would say, "Yes, you are right." And just because you're right that it doesn't look like renewal doesn't mean that it isn't renewal. And uh, I want to put up a scripture this morning to provide a little context. Uh, This is Isaiah 61. These are the first four verses. And the first three verses are what we typically understand to be a renewal or a work of the Spirit. These are the very verses that Jesus preached in his first sermon in Luke chapter 4. It says this, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. We, we oftentimes think of renewal or revival as preaching good news to the poor. It is. And then he says, he's, he sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison doors to those who are bound. These are all things that happened when God's spirit is working and when there is a renewal. Furthermore, he goes on to say that uh, he wants to grant to those who mourn in Zion to give them beautiful headdresses instead of ashes. And the oil of gladness instead of mourning. Uh, Gladness and joy are signs of renewal. As well as a garment of praise instead of a faint spirit or a heavier spirit that they may be called oaks of righteousness. The reason I'm putting this up here is because historically in the church, we have equated with renewal, revival and the work of the spirit with verses one through three. And we have failed to equate renewal and revival with verse four. But verse four is the very thing that's happening in our region. Look at this. It says, they shall build up the ancient ruins and they shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. And I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but Campbellsville is not the same as it was five years ago. There's a renewal happening here and it's the rebuilding and it's the reformation of a ruined city. Like things are changing. And by this, by, when I talk about a rebuilding of a ruined city, I'm not just talking about in the spiritual sense. I'm talking about in the actual bricks and mortar sense. We can, we have to stop talking in the spiritual sense if it never breaks into the natural realm. And so one of the things that's happening right now is, is Campbellsville is quite literally being rebuilt, uh, in large part to a lot of the people who are sitting in this room, uh, to the degree that that city of officials have even sent me emails saying, what are you teaching at your church? I tell them, I tell them it's very simple. It's Isaiah chapter 61, all first of all four verses at the beginning, especially verse four. See, one of the things the Lord wants to do is he wants to expand our understanding of revival and renewal and a work of the spirit beyond just getting a few people sick, a few people healed who were sick and a few people saved who were lost. No, don't get me wrong. I believe that people who are lost should get saved and I believe that people who are sick should get healed and I believe that people who are bound should get free. But if the bound people who get free, and if the sick people who get healed, and if the lost people who get found never take up their call and purpose in God, then verse 4 will never happen. And by the way, if you look closely at this, the very people who do verse 4 are the people who have had... Uh, The encounter of the Lord in the verse 3 verses. The broken people are the ones who rebuild the city. It's not the people who have it together. It's the broken people who get healed. It's the lost who get found. It's the poor who hear good news. They're the ones who rebuild the ancient ruins. And so that's what we're experiencing here. Uh, To put it another way, to put it another way, part of what's happening in our region in terms of just like regional renewal and uh, even things that you can see quite practically Uh, on Main Street, I would like to say that that is the tip of the iceberg. That's the part you can see, but what you can't see is actually much, much bigger. It's below the surface. You guys understand that an iceberg, you only see a little bit. What's really there is enormous, and it's underneath. Well, what's underneath? Well, what's underneath is years of a renewal work that God has been doing here in our city. God has, for years, been saving the lost. God has, for years, been healing the sick. And God has for years been freeing the oppressed. People who have a broken spirit, they've been getting mended for years. And because of that, it's beginning to coalesce in a city that looks different. This is all good news, by the way. And I think it's leading somewhere. Campbellsville's not what she used to be, and that's a good thing. But just because Campbellsville is not what she used to be, just because our region is not what, the, what it used to be, uh, I don't believe that it's finished changing either. And I believe that our city, I believe that our region, I believe that Taylor County, Adair County, Green County, I believe our region here is called to more than what we're even seeing now. I believe that our, our region is called to be a region of hope. I believe that our region is called to be a region of healing. Uh, and and I'm, when I say healing, I'm talking about every kind of healing you can imagine. I believe that our city is called to be a city of innovation. I believe that our city is supposed to be a place where people who are brilliant and have a scientific mind find a home and do amazing things. I do not believe that our best and brightest have to leave and move to either one of the coasts to be successful or do the thing that's in their heart. I believe that God is opening up an atmosphere in our region so that people can do amazing things here. I believe that our city is called to be a city of prosperity. And when I say prosperity, I mean prosperity that touches everyone, not just the elite. I also believe that our city is supposed to be a city of diversity. I believe that one of the things uh, that's going to happen in our region is is we're going to begin to change from lily white to every color in the rainbow. We're already beginning to see it. And that's a good thing. The more we see people from different nations find a home here and, and feel welcome, you will know that God is at work. God is always saying, welcome the foreigner. Welcome welcome every single person. I believe our region is supposed to be a place of welcome for every nation. Every single nation. Um, and that's going to be uh, amazing. Uh, as a side note, I believe that once we do become a more diverse city, our food will get better. Um, <clears throat> and I'm praying into that. God, would you please bring people from far off places with delicious recipes? I also believe that our city is called to be a city of freedom. Uh, The kind of place where freedom is so abundant that everyone who comes here gets a measure of liberty whether they ask for it or not. Uh, I believe that our city is supposed to be a city of influence. I believe that Campbellsville is supposed to influence the two coasts and not just the two coasts influencing the flyover zones. And I believe we're already beginning to see that. Uh, We're beginning to see that some of the people who live here and have ideas and are doing things are beginning to touch what's happening out there. And it's not just what happens out there influences here. I believe that our city is supposed to carry that kind of influence. I believe that our city is supposed to be a city of compassion. I believe that our city and our region is supposed to be a region of education. Of music and art and technology. I also believe that this is supposed to be a region of beauty. I believe that the next thing. Some of the next things that God is putting his finger on for us. As a church and for this city. Is things that are beautiful. And by the way when I talk about things that are beautiful. What God is really putting his finger on is things that are not necessary. God is, God is wanting to raise up people who are willing to go out and dream of and do things that are not necessary. Uh, one of the ways that you know something is beautiful, one of the hallmarks of something beautiful is not necessary. I believe God wants to do some things in our region that are not necessary, that are completely superfluous and excessive. For instance, how many of you understand that Jesus didn't have to die on the cross? I'll let you think about that for a minute. Jesus didn't have to die on the cross. He did have to die on the cross so that you and I could have a relationship with the Father, so that you and I could know the Father's love. But how many of you understand that nobody in heaven was under a contract, and nobody in heaven had to do anything? Jesus went to the cross because he wanted to. The father worked this thing out because he didn't want to give up on creation. And one of the main reasons that the cross is so beautiful is because at the very root of it all, it's something that God didn't have to do. No one was twisting his arm. No one made him do it. He wanted to do it. That's why it's beautiful. It's excessive. One drop of Jesus's blood takes care of everything. God wants to amplify that very thought. And he wants to amplify that very worldview of excessiveness and superfluous and, uh, and, and abundance into our community in a billion different ways. And he wants to plant something that's beautiful. Beautiful things are always at their root, not necessary. I also believe that our city is supposed to be a city of presence where people live with an awareness that God is near. Where people are beginning to wake up to the fact that God is not far away and that you don't have to die to meet him. See, I grew up in a culture that said you basically had to die to meet God, and that heaven was heaven was someplace far away, and the only way you got there was by dying. The truth is, heaven is here; it is now, and God is God is with us. This is the message of Jesus. <clears throat> and this is all—all all of this uh, stuff—is why I feel led by the Lord to do a series on visionary leadership. Um, I feel led to do it because of something that the Spirit is already doing. Uh, and because our church is filled with leaders. Uh, Every single person who's in the room right now is a leader. You may not feel like a leader, but you are a leader. Every single person is a leader. And God wants to give every single person here a fresh perspective on what he's doing so that we can walk out our purpose with an invigorated heart. Uh, The other thing that God wants to do, and the reason I feel called to this series, is God wants to give us an increased leadership capacity because what he wants to do is actually bigger than what you and I think he wants to do. Like we've been, we have this much vision and some of us have leadership gifts that can handle this much, this much vision. But what God has in store and what God has hopes for is this big. And he wants to increase our leadership capacity in a way that is proportional to the call and the invitation that he's giving us. Um, He also wants to give us language for leading in the kingdom, which is the reason I feel like we're supposed to do this. Language is really important. There are aspects of the kingdom of heaven that we oftentimes live in and benefit from, but we don't have language for and we can't articulate. I don't know if you have ever experienced something like that. Have you ever lived in something and and were benefited by it and you knew that something was good, but you couldn't explain to to your neighbor why it was good or what was going on? Yeah, uh, that is very common and there's nothing sinful about that. But the trouble with not having language and not being able to articulate Uh, certain aspects of anything, let alone the kingdom of God. But the the trouble with not having language and articulation for the kingdom is, if you don't have language, it's not transferable. Language helps transfer things. So for instance, uh, we have had a culture of songwriting here at this church since the day this church was born. Uh, Since the day that we started this thing, uh, it was almost a reflex of the people who lived here. This body had a reflex, and the reflex was write songs. And so there has always been this culture of songwriting. Uh, Really often on a Sunday morning here at the vineyard, we will write, most of the songs that we sing here are songs that we wrote here. Uh, And we will throw in a few here and there that you know and have heard other places. But what's funny is, for years we just did it as a reflex, and we didn't have language, and we we didn't have words to articulate how or why certain things worked and certain things happened here at the vineyard in worship and with songwriting. And we just kept writing songs, but after about twelve years of this, the Lord began to give me a little bit of insight and a little bit of language and a little bit of articulation about uh, a culture of songwriting and When I got the language that matched the culture that we had, then I was able to take um, then I was able to take the reality that is here, and I was able to teach it to vineyards all over america and we've raised up we've raised up songwriting all over the map. And one of the things that people don't realize is that this church has tons of influence in the United States with all kinds of churches near and far and wide, big and small, because we, were, we began to find language for what God was doing and had always done here. Does that make sense? So this is why we need to increase our capacity and we need language for kingdom leadership. Now I want to talk about three things this morning out of Exodus 18. We're going to look at the first 12 verses. It goes like this. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses, his father-in-law, heard all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, and how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses, his father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, what a name, Moses' his wife, after he had sent her home along with her two sons. The name of the, of the one son was Gershom, and the name of the other was Eliezer. And Jethro, Moses, his father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was encamped at the mountain of God. And when he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her, Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and he bowed down and he kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare and they went into the tent. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake and all the hardship that had come upon them in the way. And how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel. And that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians. And out of the hand of Pharaoh. And has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods. Because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses, his father-in-law before God. This passage is essentially about how you handle success. This passage occurs immediately following the children of Israel being miraculously delivered out of Egypt, walking on dry land through the Red Sea, And into the desert where they have a cloud by day and they have a fire by night and they have manna in the morning and quail that appear, God is blessing them and he is working on their behalf in remarkable ways. And the first thing I want to talk about this morning is in verse one. If we can put that back up. This is all about how do we handle success? How do we handle when things are going good? And. Chapter 18, verse 1, I think has a key for us. It says that Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' Moses' father-in-law, heard all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now, what's interesting to me is that God had done a thing for Israel, brought them out of Egypt, and Jethro, living in the desert of Midian, ends up hearing about it. And the reason I want to key in on this verse is, is that God had done amazing things and Jethro ends up finding out about it, living way, 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 way off. And I think one of the things that the Lord has for us this morning in terms of leadership is he's asking us to learn how to be leaders who don't own, not only just are able to handle success, but he's asking us to be the kind of leaders who can lead without hype and lead without self-promotion. One of the things I see here in chapter 18, verse 1, is that Jethro hears about the great things that God has done, but Moses is not the one who had told him. Moses didn't have a PR campaign. Moses didn't have a, ha- a, didn't have a hype campaign. He didn't have a Twitter. He didn't have a Facebook. And he didn't have an Instagram. He didn't have a YouTube channel. He didn't have a blog. He didn't write anything. But good news ended up getting out. Now, this is really, really important. Really, really important. I bring it up because it highlights something in Moses's character, which is essential to the kind of leadership that God wants to raise up. There wasn't, there wasn't a smidge of self promotion or hype. Uh, how many of you have ever been around a leader who, who was like a master hypester? You, you know what I'm talking about? Like everything's just, it's going to be the best ever. You, you know, you know what I'm talking about? All of that, that works for about 30 minutes. And then every, eventually we all just get worn out with it. Um, Hype is actually a form of manipulation, if we're being honest. Hype is, is actually a form of manipulation, and it, it destroys an authentic move of the Spirit. An authentic move of the Spirit. And one of the places, if you want to see hype put on display most beautifully, if you want to really get a picture of what hype is, all you need to do is go to church. But one of the things that God wants to do is He wants to remove hype, and he wants to remove the stain of self-promotion off of people. (laughs) Moses didn't have anything, but everyone ends up finding out about it. Uh, Let me say a couple things about social media, since I've already brought it up. Uh, The first thing I would like to say is this. Uh, Social media is not evil. I pretty much use every platform. Uh, Social media doesn't make you and I into something as much as it just quickly reveals what we really are. So I don't I don't really believe that social media is a monster. I believe what it does is it's a window into who we really are. And so if we find monsters, well, we were just monsters before, but it just amplified it, if that makes sense. Uh, secondly, the thing I would like to say is, the only reason that the Hebrews didn't Instagram the Red Sea Crossing was because they didn't have it. It wasn't because they were morally superior. If, if, if the children of Israel had had an iPhone and had an Instagram account, they would have been walking through like this, you know? <laughs> And they would have been videoing it, and they would have been hashtag dead Egyptians, hashtag Red Sea, hashtag finally free. (laughs) So the only reason they didn't do it was because they didn't have it. And the third thing I want to say about social media is this, that social media for you and I, uh, it's what word of mouth was for them. It's how we tell stories. So it's not evil. The only reason they didn't do it is because they didn't have it. And social media is basically our version of oral tradition and pass it along word of, word of mouth. But I bring it up because the scripture gives clear insight to a couple things. And one of the things that we see here in, in chapter 18 verse 1. Uh, very simply. Is that self-promotion and, uh, and a hype machine are not what's needed in order for God's good news to get out far and wide. Like we don't have to be self-promoters. And we don't have to be little tiny hype machines in order for good news about who God is to get out far and wide. Uh, the other thing is this: you don't need a lot of machinery. You don't need a lot of machinery to get the word out. Uh, if it's real, people will find out. If it's real, you don't have to have a video team, a web guru, or a ghostwriter. If it's real, people will find out. One of the lies that we're being sold right now by wider culture is that we all have a personal brand. You guys ever heard that? Heard about protecting your personal brand? Heard about like the fact that um, one of the one of the ways that People are beginning to view their lives, especially through applications like Instagram is this. Is, you know, Instagram is you putting up your personal brand. So you need to think really carefully about that because it's this, this is who you are. You're selling yourself. And the truth is, it's a lie. No, it's not completely. It's not a complete lie. The truth is everybody does have something of a personal brand. But the deception lies in the fact that you and I are much, much more than a personal brand. You and I are beloved sons and daughters. You're you're not just something to be bought and sold. Uh, You and I are beloved sons and daughters. Uh, You and I are more than our victories. You and I are more than our best day. You and I are more than our successes. And you and I are more than what we've overcome. And not only that, but you and I are actually more than our failures and our meltdowns. That's part of the lie that, that personal brand ideology wants to sell you. They want to sell you on the fact that you're a product. I'm here to tell you, you're not a product. You're a person and you're highly valued and treasured by God. And if you settle for the narrative of I'm a product, then everything, everything we do becomes basically, we just become peddlers. We become peddlers of our personal kingdom and we become manipulators, desperate to show how people, how awesome we are. And there's nothing that turns people off not only to ourselves, but turns people off to church and turns people off to Jesus more than manipulation, trying to sell me something. It's interesting to me in this scripture that Moses just keeps busy with his call, leading the people, and promotion was the work of the Lord. Uh, If you don't get anything else this morning, I want you to grab this. Promotion is the work of the Lord. Uh, Not only that, but I want you to know this as well. Uh, that the Lord loves to promote people. He loves to pull people out of obscurity and put them into a place of honor. He loves to pull people out of nowhere and put them somewhere. He loves to be a champion for nobodies. He loves it. And we have a hard time believing that because sometimes the Lord's processes are slow. But the Lord is a champion and the Lord is a promoter. And all real promotion comes from Him. So for instance, David, young David, when the prophet comes to... The house, looking for a king. He says, bring me your sons to Jesse. And Jesse invites every single person in his house except for David. David was the most overlooked. But who did the Lord want? He wanted David. Why? Because the Lord loves to give people promotion. Promotion comes from the Lord. Jesse was going to promote his other sons. And the Lord says, no, you know what? I'll take the son that you're not even thinking about. The one that's so insignificant in your own eyes, you don't invite him to dinner. Not only that, but John the Baptist filled with the Holy Spirit from the time that he was in his mother's womb. Eventually, ends up living a life out in the desert. How many of you understand that the desert is not a pleasant place? Not only did John the Baptist live his life in the desert, but he wore terrible clothes and he ate terrible food. And so going and hanging out with John the Baptist was not fun. And then to make matters worse, he decided he would start his ministry in the desert with terrible food and awful clothes. Except, the scripture says that All of Israel went out to see him. Well, how did that happen? The Lord promoted him. The Lord loves taking people who are in the desert, the people who are at the bottom, and people who are obscure and putting them on display. And not the least, we have to consider Jesus as well, who was born in a good-for-nothing town like Nazareth. Promotion comes from the Lord. Um, For you and I, because we live in a super-connected, internet-everything kind of a day, where every single thing gets videoed and everything is doctored and everything is edited to make us look like models and magazine ads, um, one of the things that would be really good for you and I is it would be really good for you and I to hold a few things back. In In a world where we are taught to put everything out there, one of the things the Spirit is saying is learn to hold a few things back. So for instance, Jesus said, when you pray, you should pray in secret. And he said, when you give, you should give in secret. And Jesus also said, when you fast, you should fast in secret. Now, Jesus wasn't saying that every public prayer is a sin. He wasn't saying that all your prayer should be in secret. But he was saying that there should be something about your life which is hidden. Something which is hidden. Especially because we live in a day where nothing is hidden. Um, one One of the major components of promotion from the Lord is having a secret life and not in the, and not in the negative sense, but the Lord wants to build a secret life with every single person who's in the room and people who learn how to pray in secret, give in secret, fast in secret, and even just do good works and keeping some of them completely hidden in secret and off of anyone's radar. The Lord begins to promote that person because one of the things that happens is, is the person who can trust secrecy is really saying, God, I really believe that promotion comes from you. That's the, that's the value of secrecy. Secrecy is always motivation, purification. See, in a world where we can put everything out, you can start with good motivations. I want to do some good things. Isn't this amazing? I'll put it out. I'll Facebook it. I'll tweet it. I will Instagram it. I'll put it out. I'll put it out. I'll put it out. And then pretty soon, pretty soon, maybe somebody kind of likes that. And the next thing you know, I'm not really doing it from a place of extending Jesus' kingdom. I'm not really doing it from a place of love or affection for God or even love or affection for the person who's standing in front of me. I'm doing it because it makes me famous. And And that switch can happen so quickly. And the only antidote to that is maintaining something in your life which is secret. Maintaining something in your life which is secret because secrecy declares above everything else in the world that I personally believe that the Father in heaven sees And then he rewards, and he's a promoter. He's a promoter. So leaders, I think kingdom leaders are people who are doing great works, but they're not manipulating with hype and self-promotion. We just want to let go of that, especially here at the vineyard. We we don't want to have to hype stuff. Secondly, if we look at chapter 18, verses 2 through 6, we see this. Let's look at verse 2 right now. It says, now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, that would be Moses' wife, after he had sent her home along with her two sons. And then he goes on to say how he brought them back. Um, every single leader, every single leader, every single called-out person is connected to a wider group of people. And when you're in the midst of your leadership task, it's sometimes hard to think about those people. But if you're going to lead and if you're going to hit your mark in God and if you're going to live out your call, one of the things that we see from the text here is you're actually going to need family to get it done. So Moses is out and he's obeying the Lord and he's gone to help deliver the Hebrew people from Egypt. But while he's out on this task, his father-in-law takes care of his wife and his two sons. So his father-in-law is hanging out with his daughter and his grandsons. How many of you understand that Moses couldn't do what he needed to do if it wasn't for the fact that he had a family at home that was preserving uh, preserving his own family? And so one of the things that leaders need to understand is a couple things. Number one, there are a lot of people who are in our leadership context and every decision we make isn't just about us or about our call. There is a larger family that's at stake. And then number two, you're probably not going to make it without family. You're probably not going to make it without family. Everybody here is going to need a Jethro. Everybody here is going to need a Jethro. Um, Everybody who's free to run is only as free as the support they receive from home. And a lot of times there's a temptation to glamorize certain positions and overlook others. Uh, People holding the microphone are awesome. And the people back at home are, well, they're common. And that's just not the truth. In the kingdom of heaven, the person who is at home, keeping the home fires burning, receives the same honor as the person who holds the microphone. Jethro and Moses are honored. And we need to begin as leaders to realize a couple things. Number one, my leadership and all my decisions are affecting lots of people, not just one. And number two, I have some people that I am responsible to, and they're they're also a part of my success. Leaders need to recognize that lots of people are often parts of our success. Uh, Nobody here is successful because you were awesome. Everybody here is successful because you were awesome. It is true. But you also have some awesome people around you. Our leaders need to recognize that family must be cared for as we walk out our call. And that's, I'm preaching to myself here. Leaders also need to recognize that no one's going to be able to do it alone. Uh, some of us in the room may be thinking, well, great, I don't have a family. Or you might be thinking, my family is rotten. Some of us, And the truth is, some of you do have rotten families. I've met with you, I've talked about them. But there's good news even for people who don't have a family. And there's good news for people who have a rotten family. And the good news is this. It's Psalm 68. Psalm 68 verse 6 says that he settles the solitary in a home. Or in another translation it says that he places the lonely in families. And the family that the Lord has for people who don't have a family or you have a rotten family. The family he has for you is the church. That's That's part of what this is about. It's not the only thing that this is about. But part of this is about giving you a bigger community, and not just, not just some friends, but something more than friends, a family. And it's a spirit family. Um, I was talking to someone this week, and this person actually has a great family. And they were telling me that they love to go and spend time with their family, uh, who lives some distance away. But they, they, they told me that as much as I love going and being with my family, they said, I don't... They said, how did they say it? They said, it never bums me out to have to come back to my own home because I have a spirit family. And uh, one of the things that we need to understand as we walk out our calls as leader is that it really is true. Blood is thicker than water, but spirit is, fev- is forever. And there are some things that can happen here in terms of kinship at church that you will never get, maybe not even in your blood family. There are some things that happen here. I have friends... I have friends uh, because of Jesus. Um, I I have some of the best friends ever, ever, ever. I have friends here at this church who will always, always, always be my friend. Even if I go completely off the rails, off the deep end, even if I end up in jail, I have some friends who are here who will be with me. That's amazing. I have friends here who are friends with me because we have found something and seen something in Jesus. And that bond is not a joke. So the good news is, even if you have a rotten family, the good news is you can have a spirit family. Welcome to the vineyard. Now, I'm telling you this, um, this spirit family stuff is something that we've been learning how to do here at the vineyard, and we're not perfect. In fact, a lot of times we goof it up. Sometimes we don't get it right. But sometimes we do get it right. Sometimes we absolutely nail it. And um, I know for me, the Lord has given me a family, not just not just in the blood sense, but also in the spirit sense. And I'm so thankful. Some of you may, may be thinking, well, that's great. Uh, my family's rotten, but I can have a family at church, but I don't really know anybody here. And I feel like an outsider. What am I supposed to do? Well, if you've been coming to the vineyard and you feel like an outsider, here's what you do. Uh, you need to find some other people who feel like outsiders here and you need to, you need to hang out with them, be friends and make your own outside family. And then it'll start working. Now, I know some of you are thinking, well, that sounds like really rude. It's actually not rude. It's actually just the truth. Uh, One of the ways that you get in here at the vineyard is you might have to go find a couple more outsiders and just decide to be friends with them. And something amazing will happen. And here's why. Because some people at the vineyard here, they've been here long enough that they probably don't even have room for another friend. Did you know that you can get to the spot in your life where you actually don't have room for another friend? Yeah, and it doesn't mean that you're a mean person. It just means that you don't have room for another friend. In fact, sociologists say that a person can only maintain about 12 meaningful relationships in their life at any one time, which is very interesting. How many disciples did Jesus have? Even the Son of God. (laughs) Right? So I'll just go ahead and put this out there. This church can be a family for you. You may have to find... Some outsiders. And the truth is, I probably don't have any room in my life for another best friend. I don't. There's there's almost no chance that somebody here is going to become my best friend. I've got like three or four best friends and my best friend quotient is filled. But you could probably meet somebody else here who needs a best friend. And it it could change your life. You've probably never heard a pastor talk that honest, have you? This is part of the non-hype machine. This is the non-hype machine. I'm not going to manipulate you. So what do you do if you feel like an outsider? Well, then find some other people here who feel like outsiders and begin to build life together. Uh, The second thing you can do if, if you feel like an outsider is you can just start serving here at the church. One of the ways to get into the family is just doing what the family does. Find a place. Just start serving. There's plenty of stuff that needs to be done here. Just start serving. You may not be a Moses, but you could be a Jethro. Nobody here can be Moses all the time, but everybody here can be a Jethro at any time. And Moses and Jethro were connected forever. Why? Because Jethro served Moses. You want in? Become a Jethro. Thirdly, this morning, um, I want to share something here for a few minutes that may sound like a contradiction to what I've been sharing up to this moment. We'll look at verses 8 through 12. It says, Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake. And all the hardships that had come upon them in the way. And how the Lord had delivered them. One of the things that we need to do as leaders. Is we need to become better storytellers. It's interesting to me that in verse 8. That when Moses and Jethro meet. Moses does not preach a sermon on the goodness of God to Jethro. How awkward would it be if Moses had preached a sermon to one person? You ever had somebody do that to you? I have, it's terrible. What he did though was he told him the story. He told them the story. Everything that the Lord had done, and then all of these amazing things happened for Jethro. It says that Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done. And then Jethro begins to declare worship, blessed be the Lord. And then Jethro comes into a greater sense of community because he ends up breaking bread with all the Israel's with all of Israel's elders. This is really interesting. All of this because a story. See, one of the things that you need to know about human beings is that human beings are story-form cre- creatures. We are always constantly looking for the bigger narrative. It's the reason why we, we're looking for how our lives intersect with one another. Um, what do you say when you meet a new person? Like if you've never met a person and you, you're, just, you're just meeting them for the first t- time across the table, What's, what, do we, what do we always ask people? Where are you from? What's your name? And then thirdly, what do you do for a living? All of those questions highlight the fact that we're looking for all the ways in which their story might be related to my story. See, stories are extremely powerful. Extremely powerful. And so Moses sits with Jethro and he tells them all that God had done. Uh, There is power in a testimony. There is power in a testimony. We can never, ever lose touch with that. And I want you to also notice in verse 8 that Moses didn't leave the hard stuff out. Look, he says and all the hardship that had come upon them. You and I need to get connected to the story that we that we carry that's unique to us. Everything that God has done for us. God has done amazing things for everybody in this room. We may be aware of it, we may not be aware of it, but God has done stuff to for us. And we need to be we need to begin to share that with some people. And when we share our story, don't leave out the hard stuff. In fact, the hard stuff is probably what's going to mean most to the person. It's re- I I know that the stories that have impacted me the most have been the stories that have come from people who have endured incredibly difficult situations, maintained their faith, and seen God move in their lives. That's That's the most important part. One of the things that God wants to do here is he wants to raise up leaders here at the vineyard who are better storytellers. At the end of the day, a story will get you further than just about anything else. It brings joy, it brings worship, and it brings community. Um, <clears throat> how many of you have ever sat around a, a, a dinner table or maybe a lunch table somewhere and somebody started talking about Jesus and then someone else tells a Jesus story and then someone else tells a Jesus story and then a few minutes later, everybody at the table is profoundly aware that God is not far away, but he's near. Like he's with us. Like all of a sudden, I just became aware of God. Anybody had that experience? Why? Why? Because God will always honor the telling of his story. like He will always honor that. He, he comes with his presence. It's one of the best ways to get the presence of God is to start telling God stories. All of a sudden, we'll become aware of it. A few years ago, uh, we're sitting at my house. There's probably, I don't know, a dozen people. And we've got this long kitchen table, and you can get about 12 people around it. <clears throat> and we're just sitting there. And the point of the night was not to tell Jesus stories, but someone, someone went and told a Jesus story. And then someone else went and told a Jesus story. And then someone else told a Jesus story. And then after we got about four Jesus stories deep, joy just kind of hit the room. And this is at my house. It's not a church meeting. But joy hit the room. And bless her heart, one, one girl fell out of her chair. and She started rolling around laughing. Which, when I tell you that's part of the story, you, you probably think, well, that's ridiculous. But in the moment, it wasn't ridiculous at all. In fact, a few people fell on the floor and started laughing. It was actually a tremendously fun time. I highly recommend it. Not only did one girl fall on the floor laughing, but she actually somehow managed to get my front door open and she rolled laughing out of my house, onto the porch, down my stairs and into my yard. (laughs) And you think, what in the world would cause somebody to become so overcome with joy that they couldn't stand up and they start rolling around somebody's house, out of their house, onto the porch, down steps and into the grass? A really good Jesus story. That's what. A really good Jesus story will flip you out. And everybody here has a good Jesus story. Everybody here. Everybody who believes Jesus is a good Jesus story. Some of us think that the only testimonies that are powerful are the the really crazy ones. Like from people who used to be like drug addicts and pornographers and everything else. No, listen... Even if you think that your testimony is really tame, there is power on it that can release joy, worship, and your greater sense of community. We need to get connected to that. We need to get connected to that. And I know that some people in the room are thinking, this is crazy, Adam. I thought you were just telling us a minute ago that we were supposed to keep things secret. And now you're saying, tell the story. You might be thinking, well, what do we do? Well, the answer is yes. Yes. The answer is yes. You should keep some things secret and you should also tell the story. Let me me add just one bit of nuance that I think ties all these sections together. In the Exodus story, let's just think about that for a second. In the Exodus story, who is the hero? It's not a trick question. God's the hero. Moses comes out looking pretty good, but at the end of the day, God's the hero. The children of Israel don't get set free because Moses was awesome. He was pretty awesome, but they get set free because God is incredible. So one of the things that we need to work on as we begin to tell our story, this is the bit of nuance, is we need to not only hold some things back and keep some things that are absolutely secret, but when we're telling stories, we need to look for ways... To make God the hero of every story. This is profoundly countercultural, by the way. Culture at large is trying to get you and I to tell the story in such a way that you and I are the hero. But the kingdom context for kingdom leadership is always God is the hero. Um, and and this idea really really pulls this together. There are other forces at work in our success. It's not just because you were smart or I were smarter, I was strong or you were talented, but it's because God. Has been for us. And the temptation for every leader. Is to quietly. Or not so quietly assume that success became. Because we were awesome. So God is asking us to look deeper. At a few things this morning. I want to leave you with. Four things that I see in this passage. Just little summary statements. For the kind of leadership that Jesus wants to bring to his church. Number one. Kingdom leaders are low on hype and they're low on self-promotion. Number two, kingdom leadership is always blessed with family and community help. In fact, one of the things I felt like the Lord said this morning is that some of us are stuck because we refuse to receive the help of the community and the family that he's planted us in. Like some of us are like, I can't get to the next step. Well, it might be time to begin to yield to the community and, and the family that he's planted you in. Your help will be there. There's a Jethro around, look. Third, kingdom leaders are always telling the story. And the story they tell, number four, is always the one where God is the hero. Jesus is the hero of the story. Amen? Amen. Hey, if you are on ministry team this morning, why don't you come up? Why don't you guys stand up? I want to pray for you before we leave. Hey, is anybody in the room uh, experiencing like, like an ear infection? Like a lot of pain from an ear infection? While we were, anybody? Okay, yeah, we, we want to pray for you. While during my message, I felt like the Lord wanted to touch an ear infection. All right, hey, why don't we pray? Why don't you just put your hand on your heart? Father, we just love you this morning. And God, we ask that you would continue to form us into kingdom leaders. God, we ask that you would give us the grace to let go of self-promotion and hype. God, we ask that you would give us the grace to um, just to let go. Father, we ask that you, would, that you would also give us the grace to trust that things that we keep secret between just you and us, that you would be watching and that you would be the promoter. In fact, God, we just declare, even in the room right now, that you are the promoter. In fact, let's just pray this together. Let's just say promotion comes from the Lord. Promotion comes from the Lord. Lord, we believe that. Father, we ask that you would plant that deep in our hearts. Promotion doesn't come from a person or from our own skills. It comes from the Lord. And we pray this in the name of Jesus, who is wonderful. Amen. Amen. Hey, if you need prayer for anything this morning, if you're sick in your body, you come on up. We've got prayer teams here. Or if you need somebody just to pray for you because your life got crazy, they would love to do that. Otherwise, give somebody a high five and a hug. Peace.